This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. Seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. A a gray day here in the Northeast. Going to get a little showers today, but uh, got a heat wave coming. (laughs) Supposed to be above 90 degrees uh, starting this weekend, and uh, it's supposed to go on for four or five days. So uh, not even summer yet, but we're about to have our first heat wave. So we'll enjoy this uh, cooler day while we can uh lots to get to this morning uh some uh, you know i look i don't want to call it earth-shattering news but um the boston celtics yesterday morning right after we got off the air as a matter of fact announced that danny ainge uh is stepping down as president of basketball operations and that brad stevens is going to leave the bench And he is going to become the new president, taking over for the 62-year-old Danny Ainge. Look, we knew with the way the Celtics season ended that some changes had to be made. I'm not sure. I'm not sure anybody saw this coming. I mean, uh, you know, Stevens, you know, was signed to an extension through the 2026 season uh, obviously in that, uh, contract, it must've been whether you're coach or front office or whatever. Um, and Ainge really, uh, the last time he was asked about it said he wasn't, you know, thinking about stepping down. There was no indication that he was leaning in that direction. But once the, the press conference happened yesterday, Ainge actually said that after he had his heart attack back in 2019, that was when he actually started considering how long he wanted to do what he was doing. And obviously, this was a very difficult season for the Celtics. It was a difficult season for Ainge. He had to answer a lot of questions. Uh, The injuries aside, it was the fact that the team played uh, disinterested a lot of times. And, you know, you've got a couple of guys that are, you know, in Tatum and Jalen Brown that are – special players and you brought in a guy like Kemba Walker uh, a potential MVP candidate a guy that you know can score lights out and has been uh, underwhelming since coming to the Celtics and he had to answer a lot of questions about that so uh, now we find out whether Brad Stevens what kind of evaluator of talent he is we know that Danny Ainge knows talent Uh, you know he's the guy that brought Kevin Garnett uh, to the Celtics. He's the guy that, you know, drafted Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. And, uh, you know, he's the guy that, uh, that won NBA championships as a player, won them as a general manager and a president of operations, you know, so we know his pedigree. 
we don't know about Brad Stevens. We do know Stevens is a good coach. He's a, he was a great college coach. And, you know, in his time on the Celtics bench, he had 354 wins, 354 and 282, which is, by the way, uh, the fourth highest in team history. Red Arbach, Tommy Heinsohn, and Doc Rivers are the only pl- uh, coaches for the Celtics that have had more wins. So we know he can coach. But how is he going to be at being a GM? How is he going to be at trying to persuade free agents to come play for the Boston Celtics? How is he going to be at evaluating trades, at evaluating college talent? You would think he'd be great at that. He was a great college coach. So we'll see. So we knew changes had to be made. I did not expect this seismic shift. And uh, I think it's probably for the best. You know, the thing that bothered me yesterday, Stephen A. Smith, who I'm not a fan of anyway, uh, on ESPN, the first thing that happens when Brad Stevens becomes president, Stephen A. Smith said this is a racial thing. How the hell is this a racial thing? Why, why does race have to come into this? You know, Brad Stevens has been a, a successful coach in the NBA. He's going to move into the front office. What does that have to do with race? You've got one guy retiring and another guy moving from coach into the front office. What's, what's that got to do with race? Yeah, that bothered me, you know, and now Brad Stevens has to fire, uh, find a new coach to replace him. Well, if you want to talk about race, the leading candidates to replace him are black, by the way. Uh, you know, guys like Chauncey Billups. Uh, there's been a bunch of other names thrown out there. Uh, Mark Jackson. I mean, there's guys that, that these guys that are being that are the first names out of people's mouths are all black. So if you're Stephen A. Smith. This is just trying to inflame things for the sake of inflaming it. It's not, it has nothing to do with race. God, I hate that. Bothers the hell out of me. But, again, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out. You know, it, it, the way this season ended for the Celtics, there's nowhere to go but up. And when you've got a core group with Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, that is something to work with and that you know they get some depth around that those guys this is a team look if they stayed healthy perhaps they compete and you know they don't get bounced by the nets i doubt it you know that nets team is loaded but maybe you know but they played like they were eh whatever you know it's like a pickup game in the park and they didn't really care so uh that is number 1 in basketball. Number two, talk about seismic shifts. How about what's going to happen at Duke? Mike Krzyzewski, who has been the coach at Duke since 1980, announced yesterday that this coming season will be his last. He is going to retire. This is a guy that, well, he's 74 years old, first of all. So, you know, uh, you know, if he wants to retire, God love him. This is a guy with 1,170 career victories, the most in NCAA history. Um, he started his career at Army, came to Duke in May of 1980, and has been, you know, the gold standard. Five national championships. Uh, 15 ACC tournament championships. They've been to the Final Four 12 times. 
Uh, his teams have spent 126 weeks ranked number one in the in the AP College Poll. You know there is no denying what this guy has done at Duke, and this is you know, and he has turned. I saw a great column by Jay Busby this morning. Um, he did what great coaches do and what great organizations do. He has turned Duke into one of those teams that you either love or you hate. There's no in-between. It's kind of like the New England Patriots in football. You either love them or you hate them. It's the New York Yankees in baseball. You know, that's what he has turned Duke into. You know, and don't forget, you know, this is a guy that uh, took over the Olympic team, and they won four gold medals in 2008, 2012, and uh, uh, 2016 when he was the coach of the U.S. Olympic team. So, uh, and uh, they've already picked a successor, which, um, you know, I don't want to say it's a surprise because the, the fact that they were going to stay in-house and get a guy who was a Duke guy, it, it shouldn't really surprise me, but uh, John Shire is going to become the new head coach at Duke. This is a guy that has never been a head coach, and you're handing them the keys to a Maserati for his first head coaching job. Now, he has been the associate head coach for Krzyzewski for the last couple of years. He played for Krzyzewski from 2006 to 2010. So, But he's a young guy. I mean, he's in his uh, you know mid-30s. And his first head coaching job is going to be Duke Whew, with with some massive shoes to fill. Now, he'll obviously have, you know, Krzyzewski to lean on anytime he needs it early on in his career. But my goodness. Um, so, you know, good for him. And I guess it shouldn't come as a shock. But can you imagine how coveted that job would have been? Oh, my goodness. I mean, Shire's only uh, only head coaching experience at Duke was last year for one game when uh, Shashevsky couldn't be at the game because of COVID-19 protocols. Uh, and uh, he uh, coached in the game against Boston College, and, and they won the game. But then again, it was Boston College, and they should have won the game. So uh, Mike Shashevsky calling it a career. Uh, you know, and this is one of the guys that you just, you know, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like here in the Northeast. This is the, It's going to have the same kind of reverberation down uh, in the Carolinas that Jim Calhoun leaving UConn had up here. You know, uh, it was a uh, earth-shattering earth day. And, of course, Calhoun couldn't stay away. He came back and coached Division Three basketball now. And I think he's, what, 78, 79 years old, survived cancer like four times, and he just can't give it up. Um, I, I don't know if Krzyzewski will have that same kind of drive. I think, I think Mike has done enough where, uh, you know, he can walk away confident and comfortable with what he's done. So uh, that's what's gone on in basketball in the last 24 hours. Uh, just this morning, uh, just as I was getting up, news came down that the top-ranked female player at the French Open, Ash Barty, has withdrawn from the tournament. She's been dealing with uh, some hip problems, and she was uh, in a match this morning and she had lost the first set 6-1. They were 2-2 in the second set, and she signaled that uh, she could not continue. So Magda Lynette will win on a, a walkover as uh, 
as Barty has to withdraw. She played her first-round match, and she won in uh, three sets over the 70th-ranked player in the world. Uh, and she was really, uh, you could tell that she was hurting. So, obviously, she just decided it was enough. So, she is going to uh, to withdraw, and now you wonder, you know, is she going to be able to compete at Wimbledon? We have the Olympics coming up, which, by the way, this morning the Olympic organizers uh, said it, there was 100% certainty the Olympics are going to happen. So now you wonder, so now Ash Barty is in question for the Olympics? Uh, you would think that depending on what's going on with Naomi Osaka, we talked about this yesterday, maybe she's going to be in danger of not being in the Olympics. Who knows? Uh, so anyway, uh, last year's runner-up, Sophia uh, Kennan, advanced to the third round this morning. So without... Uh, Ash Barty in the way and without Osaka in the way, you would think that uh, she would have to be perhaps the favorite right now to win this thing. Uh, Rafael Nadal plays later today, as does Roger Federer. But uh, that was a uh, big news this morning when uh, she decided to drop out. Um, let's see, what else we got? Oh, yeah, Bob Baffert, <laughs> the Kentucky Derby uh, winning trainer. The second drug test for the horse Medina Spirit also came back positive for that banned substance, the beta-methasone. And so uh, Baffert has been suspended for two years by Churchill Downs. He's already been suspended uh, in New York uh, with the Belmont getting ready to come up. He has no horses entered. He's not allowed to. And uh, his suspension in New York is indefinite right now. Uh, the second test for the beta-methasone, by the way, came back uh, with a higher level than the original one. So uh, he is out for a couple of years, um, and now the committee at Churchill Downs has to decide if they are going to disqualify Medina Spirit as the Kentucky Derby winner. Of course, if they do, it'll be the second time since 2019 that that has happened. Um, now, some experts say that the amount of the drug found in the horse's system is not enough to really affect the outcome of the race. But at the same time, um, positive is positive. That's like saying a baseball player that has been suspended for using steroids um, shouldn't be suspended because, well, the level in his system was smaller than the level of this guy. I mean, at the end of the day, if you have a banned substance in your system, that's the end of the road, you would think. Um, now, you know, the the only case that they might have here is that they think that this banned substance got in through a ointment that they rubbed on the horse for dermatitis. The reason that this beta-methasone is banned is because that uh, it has been injected directly into joints of horses to reduce inflammation. And uh, so that is why it was originally banned. The only So the question is, is if it was indeed a salve, if they can prove that it was, perhaps the horse won't be disqualified? Maybe? I don't know. So we'll see. But anyway, Bob Baffert... Uh, uh, I guess he can keep appealing, but uh, two positive tests, I think that's uh, we can put a fork in that one. That's over. Uh, one other thing before we get to last night's baseball action, there is a bill here in the state of Connecticut uh, before the Senate right now 
that is uh, probably going to be voted on this week or the early part of next week, and it affects college athletics. Now, there's been talk that the NCAA may allow student-athletes to profit from their name, from their image, from their likeness, the so-called NIL, Uh, but they've been dragging their feet and nothing has happened. Well, in the meantime, 18 other states have passed legislation in their states saying that, yes, our athletes can profit from that. And right now, those you would think that those 18 states, until the NCAA has a blanket law, the teams that are in those states are going to have a recruiting advantage because now athletes, you know, if you're thinking, well, Connecticut or going to, say, Alabama, and Alabama's passed a rule that says I can make money off of my name, well, I'm going to Alabama because I can't do it in Connecticut. Well, Connecticut wants to make sure that um, they can stay on an even playing field, so they are going to pass this law. It's going to happen. Now, they're not passing it just to help Gino Auriemma and, you know, uh, Danny Hurley out with recruiting. It's not about that. It's about the right thing to do. Again, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this program. I don't believe that student athletes um, should get paid. I don't believe they should get a salary. I don't believe that they are employees of universities. They are getting something in kind for their efforts, which is a free college education, free room and board. However, I always felt it was wrong that a player could not uh, sign an endorsement deal with a local bank or a local business Um, or uh, if their name was going to be used in a video game that they shouldn't profit from that as opposed to the money going to the universities. I always felt that the student-athletes should have access to that. And in this day and age of social media, uh, it's crazy that they can't. So this is the right thing to do. But the NCAA needs to do this as a whole. So right now, because there's that vacuum and they're not doing it, the states are picking up and Connecticut is going to be one of them. Um, and they estimate, by the way, not they, I, who, who's they? Well, you know, experts around the country, a lot of the people that are that deal with advertising and and uh, social media and those kinds of things think that most of the money that these kids make isn't going to be from uh, endorsing a local business. It's going to come from social media, for instance. And this was this was absolutely eye opening. There was an analysis done in March by this uh, company uh, called Open Endorse, and they found that eight of the ten players in the Elite Eight of the NCAA basketball tournament, so the past men's and women's tournaments, the Elite Eight teams, of the top ten players in those tournaments, eight of them were women. Here, ready for this? Paige Beckers, the freshman from UConn. Great player, player of the year nationally, uh, ridiculously talented. All right. She has 730,000 combined followers on Instagram and Twitter. That was as of March. It's now, up, by the way, of over 900,000. 
that 730,000 followers on those two platforms were projected to be worth, you ready for this, $382,000 a year as an influencer. In other words, companies would come to her and say, hey, if you wear this shirt in, uh, you know, or this watch or these shoes in this post, it doesn't have to, obviously, it can't be in games, you know, it can't be, you know, uh, you know, if UConn has a deal with Nike, she can't show up at practice with Adidas sneakers on. That so it's it. But what they can do is they, you know, they can say, hey, you know, this is uh, you know X Y Z watch or X Y Z shoes or you know I love this T-shirt, whatever. Co- every time she tweets that out with that company's name, they get paid for it. There's a guy, um, Hunter Woodall. A guy who was a uh, track athlete at the University of Arkansas, he actually quit college because there was no NIL uh, way uh, rules so that he could make money from his social media following. He's got a huge one. This is a guy who was a uh, sprinter at Arkansas, a double amputee. He actually quit his college team and went professional so that he could make money from his social media following. Get this. He told the New York Times in an interview earlier this year he was making $7,500 per post. Every time he posted something, it was 7500 bucks. So if these young kids have the opportunity to capitalize on their talents, their likeness, their followers, they should be able to do that. The colleges should have no say in that. Period. Uh, so, you know, so Paige Beckers, uh, if this law passes starting next year, you know, who knows? She could be making 400 K just, just for her followers on, uh, on social media. Uh, Olivia Nelson, Adota, by the way, uh, was ninth in that social media following among elite eight players. There's a big drop off, by the way, between Paige Beckers, who was number one and Nelson Adota, who was ninth. They're still saying Nelson Adota could make 30 grand a year from her social media, 30 grand. So think about that. I mean, there's people, we have people working minimum wage jobs across the country that aren't making 30 grand. Olivia Nelson, Adota, who's a college basketball player could make that just because of her following on Twitter and Instagram and good for them. Again, no, they shouldn't get a salary, but if they have enough followers and they can get companies to want to pay them to endorse their products on social media, God love them. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. The day they start paying athletes a salary is the day I just throw my hands up and I just say, well, well, it's no longer college basketball. It then becomes professional basketball. The day these kids are getting a salary, it's no longer college basketball. You might as well just scrap college, but, you know, and have a, you know, 300, uh, a 300 team pro league and call it a day because that's essentially what you're doing if you're paying them. I know it's a little hyperbole, but still, you know, they're no longer college athletes if you are paying them. But this is something that these kids have done on their own. This has nothing to do with their college other than the fact that these kids have talent that people and people are interested in them. That's the work the kids have done. The colleges have had nothing to do with that, so the kids should be able to profit off that. 
So this is going to be up for vote uh, or in the uh, state legislature here in Connecticut uh, very soon. And uh, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it passes with no trouble, as it should. It's 30 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Boston Red Sox and the offensive blackout. It has reached epidemic proportions. And, uh, you know, the question is, how long can they allow this to go on? Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. So, the Boston Red Sox lose again last night, 2-1 to one, to the Houston Astros. Uh, for the second consecutive night, they get a starting pitcher uh, that pitches his ass off, and they lose. Nick Pavetta, now again, it was, it was an adventure at times, but six innings, th- just three hits, two runs, struck out nine. Walked a couple, but overall a good performance. And yet the Red Sox can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag. They load the bases in the first inning and come up with one run on a bases-loaded walk, of all things. Time after time after time, the Red Sox continue to let opportunities slip away and time after time, they turn opposing pitching staffs uh, into uh, Cy Young Award winners. It's crazy. So, you know, the only saving grace last night was that the Rays lost to the Yankees yet again. So the Red Sox don't lose ground. But what does happen is now the American League East tightens up even more. Uh, the Sox still two back, but now the Yankees three and a half back. Toronto's just four and a half back. Uh, Baltimore's the only team that, that's out of it. But Look, you know, if you're the Red Sox and you're high in bloom and you're looking at this team and, you know, this is the part that's ironic. Before the season, everybody was worried about this pitching staff. No Chris Sale because of Tommy John surgery. Erod hadn't pitched in a year uh, because of COVID and then the myocarditis that flared up after that. You know, and then you've got a lot of unknowns in Garrett Richards, a guy who's trying to make a comeback, Nick Pavetta, who's unproven, uh, Martin Perez, who is what he is, uh, you know, and yet the pitching has not been the issue. The hitting has. You know, you know, for a while they got hot as hell. They won a bunch of games because the middle of the lineup, the, the, that core four guys were tearing the cover off the ball. And they managed to figure out a way to get it done because they were getting the pitching and they were getting just enough hitting. Well, now it has gotten uh, so that nobody is hitting. I mean, it's to the point Xander Bogarts, who everybody you know a couple of weeks ago was ready to say, "Hey, you know this guy's this guy's ready to be an MVP," uh, isn't hitting at all. He went over four again last night. And he is now, oh, he went 0 for 3 last night with a walk. He is now 0 for his last 21. He hasn't had a hit in six straight games. That hasn't happened, folks, since he was a rookie in 2014. Now, he's still hitting 309, but, you know, he's not hitting when the Sox need him to hit. Alex Verdugo, all of a sudden, in a funk. 
They continue to hit Kike Hernandez at the top of the lineup, and that's been pathetic. Rafi Devers at least had a couple of hits last night. Um, you know, after looking pathetic the night before, striking out on balls right down the middle. Bobby Dahlbeck, it's time to wave the white flag with him at first base. The Red Sox, first base, they are in the bottom five offensively at first base in the American League. Look, they keep running Dahlbeck out there. You know, they 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 were saving him, not putting out against right-handers, trying to protect him a little bit because he was hitting lefties better. He can't hit anybody right now. 0 for 3 again last night. You know, and left three guys on base. Two of them in scoring position. Um, you know, last night, Christian Arroyo, <laughs> he, he had two hits. So he had two hits last night. Devers had two hits. Outside of that, it was a wasteland. You know, J.D. had a hit. But, you know, the top of the lineup when you've got Verdugo and Kike Hernandez up there going 0 for 8. You know, what are the Red Sox going to do? Now, I think... I think based on what's going on right now, I think we're going to see Jaron Duran, their top prospect. Um, I think I think in the next few weeks. I firmly believe that. Um, now, is he the answer? I don't know. I mean, this is a guy that has not played a lot at AAA, and right now he's not even with the AAA team. He's with uh, uh, the USA national team competing in an Olympic qualifier, but he's been – He's three for 10 down there with a couple of RBIs, um, you know, but look in, in 18 games for Worcester this year in triple a, he was tearing the cover off the ball. He also has speed. Um, you know, it, they, they worry about his defense in the outfield a little bit, but I think we are at a point now that the Sox have to do something and he might be the spark. You know, the other possibility is they go out and make a trade. But here's the thing. With the way baseball is right now, and nobody's hitting, and that's, that's you know, Alex Cora wants to point that out. Well, you know, offense is down everywhere. Okay, I get that. But this team, with the pitching they're getting right now, and Chris Sale coming in a, in a, in a month or two, this team has a chance to do something that nobody thought that they could do, but they've got to hit. And they've got to, you know, they took a chance on some guys. You know, Bobby Dahlbeck, they wanted to give him a chance. You know, they let Mitch Moreland go. And by the way, you know, how much would the Red Sox like to have Mitch Moreland with what he's doing with the Oakland Athletics right now? You know, now Mitch isn't hitting for Mitch is hitting 243. Sox would sign up for that tomorrow, you know, and he's got five or six home runs with the Athletics. I think he hit one last night. You know, and you wonder if they look at that now and go, Jesus, maybe we should have kept him around. You know, but what the Sox have is a bunch of utility players, and that's the problem here. Guys like Kike Hernandez, who, as I said, as I pointed out several times, has never been a great hitter. This is a guy that's like a 245 or 240 career hitter. You know, we didn't sign Babe Ruth. You know, Danny Santana, who had one great year, he's just coming off an injury. He's a utility player. He's hitting 167. Well, he's got two home runs and a double, and I think that's all he's done since he's come back. And other than that, he's uh, not he, he's been useless. Christian Arroyo is essentially uh, a utility player, although he has been the most effective of all, of all of them. But they've got a bunch of you know Swiss Army knives out there and not a lot of thump and not a lot of consistency, and that's a problem. And they're not getting out of Christian Vasquez what they thought they were going to get. 
I still believe that what Christian Vasquez has done the last year or two uh, is not who he really is. I think he's more the 250 hitter that we're seeing this year. I I never thought he was a great offensive player. And the, and the book on him was that he, he was a great defensive player and a so-so offensive player. I think he, they've gotten more out of him the last couple of years than they could have hoped for. So what do, they, what do they do? I mean, you know, Pete Abraham talked about it in the Boston Globe this morning. There aren't many teams that are out of it right now because of all the mediocrity in baseball this year. I mean, who's out of it? Um, the Orioles are out of it. Are the Orioles going to make a trade with the Red Sox within the division? And if they are, who, the, who are you going to go after? Uh, you know, the Diamondbacks, the Pirates, the Rangers, the Rockies are out of it. Maybe the Tigers. Where are you going to go? If they want to get first base help, well, maybe C.J. Crone from the, uh, the Rockies would be a good option. You know, but however, Heim Bloom is worried about rebuilding the Red Sox system and building talent in the organization. If the Red Sox are going to go out now and try to get a guy like a C.J. Crone or somebody like that, well, the Rockies are going to want prospects back. I don't think that uh, that Heim Bloom is going to be in a hurry to give up any of his big prospects. So you're going to have to get the Rockies to bite on some middling guys. And the Rockies are going to look at where the Red Sox are and know the Red Sox are desperate. All the teams are going to see that, and they're going to ask for more. And if the Red Sox don't want to bite, then the Red Sox are going to be what they are, and they're going to have who they have. But it is it has gotten frightening. The Red Sox have scored just four runs in the three games of this Houston series so far. They've got one more game tonight this afternoon. They've only scored 28 runs in their last nine games. They're averaging three runs a game. I mean, it is like it's been maddening to watch them. I'm inventing new swear words watching them lately <laughs> to the point where Barb looks at me and says, you got to calm down. Are you <laughs> – he said, you're supposed to enjoy sports. Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> you know, but it, it's, it's it, when you're a fan of a team, it's what you do. You know, I mean, if you were just like, man, whatever, you're not really a fan. You're just, you know, you, maybe you enjoy the sport, but you're not a fan of a team. If you're a fan of a team, you are, you get emotionally invested in this, and there is no question that I do that. But they've got to do something. And I think Duran will be – a good start. And I think maybe if you're the Red Sox, when this Olympic qualifier is over, and let's say the United States qualifies and they don't have to play in that second one down in Mexico, you get him and you bring him straight to Boston. Now, what does that mean? That Who who goes down? You know what? I think Bobby Dahlbeck finds his way back down to Worcester. You bring Duran up. Dahlbeck goes, to, goes down to Worcester because you've got guys that can play first base. You don't need him to do that. Danny Santana can play first base. Marwin Gonzalez can play first base. And then you throw Duran into the outfield mix. You get Kike Hernandez out of center field. You put Verdugo back in center, and then you use Duran in left field. I think they've got to do something, and I think Duran is the easiest way to go because you don't have to give up anything in your farm system. So, uh, Red Sox have a decision to make today. They either have to bring um, Brandon Workman up today or he becomes a free agent. Uh, at this point, if you're the Red Sox, 
you know, I don't know that there's any harm in bringing him up. I really don't. Colton Brewer has been awful since you got him. I think that you you put him, you, you designate him for assignment because they've got to make room on the 40-man the roster for workmen, which would mean having to designate somebody for assignment and hope they don't get picked up on waivers. But do that with Brewer. If he gets picked up, so what? At this point with the bullpen, uh, you know, you've, you've got Sawamura pitched again last night and was shaky again. You know, uh, you have to begin to worry about, you know, some of these guys in the bullpen about whether you can really use them, like a Phillips Valdez, uh, you know, Sawamura, you know, it's becoming less and less likely they're going to want to use him in high leverage spots. And maybe Workman's got something left in the tank. If they truly did figure out his delivery problems and he's got something left, what do you have to lose? So that decision will be coming uh, today. I would imagine probably, you know, maybe even prior to the game today or we'll find out at the pregame uh, when that is. So Martin Perez pitches today against Jake Odorizzi. Uh, Two o'clock start here on the East Coast. Uh, one of the quick Red Sox note, Chris Sale threw off the mound yesterday in uh, Fort Myers. Um, he actually threw some sliders. He was mostly fastballs and change-ups as he works his way back from Tommy John, but he threw three sliders Um Alex Cora said he talked to Sale. And Sale said uh, the first slider, he threw it to the backstop. I mean, that's not good. Second one, he said he almost killed somebody. And then the third one was a good one. So so then Cora jokes, he's always making progress. Uh, and uh, Ryan Brazier threw up them on Wednesday. He uh, will face live hitters Friday. If that goes well, uh, he'll probably go on a rehab assignment next week. 45 minutes past the hour, and we've got to take another break. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning. Don't forget, if you missed the uh, first part of the show or uh, uh, or you can't listen one day, you can uh, catch all of the replays of our show on Apple Podcasts. They're on, we're on Spotify. Um, anywhere where you get your podcasts. We're at about five or six different outlets. So uh, if you missed the show or you can't listen and you want to listen later in the afternoon, uh, you can find our podcast and, and catch it then. Uh, I mentioned the Yankees uh, beating the Tampa Bay Rays yesterday. The Yankees, it was not easy. Uh, they had to overcome a couple of errors. Uh, our oldest Chapman was shaky in the ninth inning. He walked a couple of guys just to try to make things interesting. But a decent outing for Jordan Montgomery for the Yankees yesterday. And so the Yankees, after losing um, seven of the first ten, to the Rays have come back to win the next couple of games and uh, keep themselves uh, in the, in the hunt. I mean, because it, again, you know, I talked about what a big stretch this was for the Red Sox with the opponents they are playing. Now the Yankees are facing the th- same thing. If the Yankees can beat, uh, uh, continue to do what they're doing at Tampa, uh, and beat them again today. And they've got Garrett Cole on the mound today, which you, so you like their chances, um, six and two with a one seven eight ERA. If they can take care of business in Tampa today and then, you know, the way the Red Sox are going, they're playing the Red Sox for the first time this season in Yankee Stadium this weekend. Uh, there could be some big shifts in the standings in the American League East. You know, honestly, and this is, you know, disturbing to say, but if, if you know, the Red Sox, if they get swept by Houston here and go into Yankee Stadium, the Red Sox could be in fourth place in the American League East by the end of the weekend. That is a legitimate possibility, and it's just disturbing. But uh, anyway, the Yankees uh, win it 4-3. to three. Uh, Clint Frazier, day after uh, hitting a big home run, making a big defensive play, uh, had another hit yesterday for the Yankees, drove in two runs, 
and uh, suddenly becoming a big part of that Yankee offense. Gio Urshela with a couple of hits yesterday, including his sixth home run uh, of the season. So the Yankees are now a game and a half back of the Red Sox and uh, three and a half back of the Rays in the American League East. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays also gained a game on the Rays with that loss as they beat the Marlins yesterday. Uh, the Blue Jays scored three runs in the ninth inning to win it. A Joe Panic sacrifice fly scored, scored Vlad Guerrero uh, with the winning run, and uh, the Blue Jays uh, win this one. Uh, their uh, young rookie, Manoa, got the start and uh, was not able to get out of the fourth inning. He gave up four hits, four runs. He gave up three home runs in three and a third inning. Uh, so uh, the Marlins were, were batting him around early. Uh, Corey Dickerson hit one off of him. Uh, Jazz Chisholm hit one, his sixth of the year. Jesus Aguilar hit his tenth. Uh, and then uh, Starling Marte hit one as well later in the game. But uh, the Blue Jays rally, so they are now back to four games over five hundred, and, again, hanging in there. Uh, Toronto has a day off today, and then they host the Houston Astros uh, for a three-game series this weekend. Uh, the Mets with a win yesterday after struggling down in Arizona the day before. They beat the Diamondbacks 7-6. to uh, Again, they do it with a run in the ninth inning. Now, they had 16 hits in this game, but uh, had trouble. They left eight guys on base uh, David Peterson got the start for the Mets, didn't get out of the first inning. He gave up three hits and five runs in the first inning, also walked three guys. So they got him out. Robert Gesellman, really the hero of this game for the Mets, kept him in it. He went three and two-thirds scoreless innings. Uh, Seth Lugo just back off the disabled list, uh, pitched a couple of innings. Uh, good job out of the bullpen. Edwin Diaz, who blew a save the other night against Arizona, uh, pitched a scoreless ninth inning, and he picks up his 10th save of the season. Uh, if you're Arizona, you're already out of it. And now Madison Bumgarner, who is your uh, your ace, uh, five runs and eight hits in just two innings, and he left the game uh, with shoulder discomfort. Uh, so that is not a good sign. And Bumgarner had been pitching very, very well. He got roughed up early. His last two or three starts, he had been kind of looking like the old Madison Bumgarner. So... Uh, the Mets now head to San Diego. They play a four-game series with the Padres uh, beginning tonight, and the Diamondbacks will uh, get the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, speaking of the Padres, they lose again. Uh, they got swept by the Chicago Cubs. They lose yesterday 6-1. to one. Uh, Things not going <laughs> the Padres' way right now. Uh, no Fernando Tatis Jr. We talked about it yesterday. He left the game with that oblique tightness. He is listed as day-to-day. Uh, we have to hope that's the case because the other thing that happened yesterday for the Padres is there was a nasty collision between their shortstop Kim and the left fielder Tommy Pham going out for a ball in shallow left field, and they collided, and Kim's uh, head hit Pham like right in the chin. Uh, they both had to leave the game. So you have to hope that uh, uh, they're okay and uh, because they're already shorthanded without Tatis. Um, Denilson Lamette got the start, only pitched four innings. He pitched well, struck out six, only gave up a run and four hits. But, again, he's still coming back from uh, uh, that preseason injury, so they limited him to just 72 pitches. Uh, but uh, the Cubs got a good start from Azalea, and then the bullpen did its job, and uh, they take care of business. The Cubs 
remaining in first place in the NL Central, 32 and 23 now, uh, with a one and a half game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, and that is because the Cardinals got absolutely embarrassed by the Dodgers yesterday. The Dodgers beat them 14 to three, folks. The Dodgers scored 11 runs in the first inning. This game was over in the first inning. Uh, Cody Bellinger, who was, just came off the disabled list with a uh, a broken leg, had a grand slam in the first inning, um, as well as a uh, a two-run single. He drove in six runs in the first inning. Uh, he becomes just the fifth player since RBIs became a uh, uh, a thing, a, a, an official stat. Uh, to do that, to drive in six runs in one inning. David Ortiz of the Red Sox actually did it once, but an 11-run first inning, and uh, they cruise uh, to the victory. Now they are 33-23. and 23. They are a game and a half back of the Giants, who had the night off, and the uh, uh, just a half a game back of the San Diego Padres, who sit in second place. But uh, a big night for the Dodgers. Uh, the Braves lose again to the Washington Nationals. Uh, Juan Soto with a big home run in this one, his sixth of the season uh, off of Drew Smiley. Uh, and then Jan Gomes hit the decider. He hit his fifth of the season. That one came in the eighth inning, and uh, the Nationals beat the Braves 5-3. to three. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of The Wake-Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Josh Turner and your man. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country.